Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh everyone. So today it is Thursday and I have just been thinking about lots of things and I don't know, I, I guess I decided to talk about it on here because I feel like I just want to go back to the good old days, man, where I just treated my podcast like my journal and I just talked, which is what I used to do. And I think over time, you know, it became really, really structured. And today what I want to talk about is just honestly whatever my heart takes me to. But one of the big things I do want to talk about is structure. And just, I just want to go. Like, I just want to talk. And I pray that this comes out nicely and that I'm able to post it and someone benefits. But ultimately, this right now is for my my heart and mind and my peace of state. Um, because like I always say, everything on here is like a reminder for me first before anyone. So ultimately, if you're listening to this, this is more of a reminder for me before you. I think I'm going to be honest about the fact that I've talked about burnout and feeling, you know, maybe discouraged or sad or like confused. I've talked about intentions and stuff like that quite often. And I feel like a lot of the work that you do, especially when you start to do dawa revolves around that and I think that sometimes while you are preaching and you know sharing the word of what God tells you I think that it's very normal to sometimes feel a little bit like you are on a structured loop and not feel like it is as deep to you anymore and what I mean by that is when sometimes you're preaching, you're doing what you love, you love it, and you have sincere intentions, and you mean it from your heart, but sometimes it just feels like you're talking, but you're not there. It just feels like sometimes you're on autopilot, and I felt like recently, you know, I'm happy with how things are going, and I'm happy with, you know, giving, talking about dawah, whatnot, and I enjoy it and I love what I do and I always try to refresh my niyat before I go on anything, right? But I did feel like for a long time, it was not as heartfelt as I wished for it to be. Now, how someone produces heartfelt content is subjective. Some people genuinely feel like it's a lot more of a heartfelt conversation when they do it when they're alone at home or at night before bed. Some people feel like, you know, their dawah and whatever they do is a lot more heartfelt when they are less frequent in it and just like they have like their moments they take time out for it mine however my feeling of when i think i'm the best at what i do is when i don't structure it now of course that's just me so today in particular i think was a day that kind of opens up my eyes to that because i preach you know knowing yourself and understanding yourself and i do take the time out to do that but i feel like Okay, the thing about me is when I love something, when I like to do something, I obsess over it, okay? (laughs) And I just, that's it, that's my focus. And my family tells me that too, you know, they're like, you, like, when I find my one thing, like, I chase it crazy, and I'm obsessed over it like crazy. And so when I learned about how I kind of love to do dawa and talk about Dean and stuff like that. Like, it became a crazy, like, I'm obsessed 24-7. 
content posting this that learning sharing and that's good you should you should be sharing you should be learning but i feel like sometimes i i feel like sometimes being obsessed too deeply and not having enough time to just kind of think about you makes it difficult i think that you should be you know working and striving your best when it comes to giving dawah and i of course i try my best to do that but i also think that we need to be honest and sometimes unwind and just talk about you know on intentions and how it's not easy you know i see discussions that happen quite close um whether it's among my friends whether it's in my own discord whether it's you know on social media of how people talk about how it's difficult now to trust you know people that may have a authority or figure in regards to having lots of islamic knowledge because you never know who they are and it becomes difficult because it's like who do you learn from if you know you don't know if this person is like this or this leaks out and it's like there's just there's lots of questions right lots of unknowns which is why every now and then i just make a really honest like raw episode where i just talk about my feelings because i think the problem is sometimes we act holier than thou and sometimes we act a lot more pious and portray ourselves to have things together when we don't and i i've talked about this before i had a whole episode where i just talked about burnout and right now i'm not necessarily saying i feel burnt out I think I just feel like it's I feel like I've been neglecting me and I think that that is something that I I do that quite often. <laughs> I'm a little bit toxic about that. I'm working on it. And so I decided to just take like a couple of days off of social media, not talk to anyone, you know, just not DM anyone, just be alone for a bit and record this and just kind of talk. I wasn't even initiating and thinking about recording an episode, but I've noticed that when I am at my most vulnerable <laughs> and i'm feeling like really unstructured i feel like that's when the episodes that i record are always the best so i might not even post this it just depends it's just kind of like a talk diary but i feel like you know the perception of social media and the way that we see certain scholars and knowledgeable figures and how they're just getting at it you know mashallah may Allah make it easy for them I think that lots of people have spiritual gifts and I think that some people are just really good at 100% keeping it down always and always being heartfelt in what they do and may Allah continue to bless them with that. And then there's some people that, you know, they, they struggle, they shift around. And I think that I I definitely have days where I struggle and I don't talk about it with anyone because it's just like what do you say, you know what I'm saying? I think it's really difficult to talk about this because it's like you don't know how to come off talking about it without sounding ungrateful. And it's never been about, you know, not being grateful. It's always been about how thankful I am to have an audience and to have listeners and to have these things. But ultimately, of course, everything that I do is for Allah. So if someone likes my work, okay, you don't like it, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? I feel like the biggest thing that I had to learn in regards to my journey of just having a podcast, doing dawah, talking, was making criticism and making praise to an extent on the same level. And this is something I'm still learning. 
But, like, if someone criticizes me, they say, I don't like what you do. That doesn't mean I stop what I do. You know what I'm saying? And if someone praises me and says, I love what you do, you know, I'm head over heels for you, that doesn't mean that I start doing it for them. Like, I have to make it equal and put God in the center of the reasonings of why I do what I do. And I think that shaitan knows really how to mess with people when it comes in regards to intentions. And not even that, I think just our own selves. But we question a lot of the things that we do, even if you start off with a good niyat and a good intention and you keep it like that. I think sometimes you start to wonder, like, am I really a bad person? Am I not? Who am I doing this for? And of course, one of the biggest questions I always ask myself is if no one saw me doing it, would I still do it? Um, if no one praised me for it, would I still do it? If no one criticized me for it, would I still do it? And of course, yes, this is an episode that I don't even know if I'm going to post. I don't even know. And I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's just for me. So I like to sit here and just kind of think about it and talk about it quite frequently. I think that one of the hardest things that I have also learned recently is that this is my habit. This is not everyone's. I think that I struggle to do self-care and self-love and, you know, just being there for me when things are good. I think that as a whole, I think as, you know, when you see around on just, you know, other people's lives and environments, I think that self-care and self-love has always been associated with something that you do when things are bad so you know how to cope. But I think that that routine of letting the things go of what makes you feel good when things are good is kind of what throws person in a dark place sometimes because you start to neglect yourself because your environment is good. And I think that that's something I also struggle with quite a lot. And today when I was laying there after trying to like create this course, right, because I'm making like a music course on why you should not listen to music and why music is haram and whatnot, right? For my monthly classes, which is like another thing, right? Because like you also want to make sure that the information that you're providing out is good and whatnot. But um, after I finished doing that, I closed my computer and I just, I went to my bed and I was like, okay, I'm just going to lay down because, you know, my back was hurting. I was like, let me just lay down for a bit. So at this point, I left my phone in the other room. And as I lay down, I was, I turned on the heating pad and I was like, just laying there. And I was like, oh, wait, here, I just get up and get your phone. So like, you know, you don't have to get up again. And I was like, no, why? And I was sitting there for like a solid five minutes, just debating with myself. And I was like, oh, just go get up and get your phone. And I was like, oh, no, I'm just lazy. <laughs> like I'm tired. Right. And eventually I was just so comfortable that I was just staring at the ceiling for a long time. And I started to think, and the phone completely slipped my mind. <laughs> my phone was still, you know, not in the room. And I just started to think, and I was like, how have you, how are you? And, like, that was, like, the first question that came to my mind. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Who's the, what am I, am I, what? Like, I was like, what, what's going on? Am I talking to myself? But like, literally, my brain, like, the first question that came to me was, how are you? And I remember that this was, like, the question that, like, if, if you asked me this, I would start crying. Because it was a question that I hated to answer. If someone ever said to me, hey, are you okay? I'd start crying. Like, as long as you didn't ask me, I'd be fine. But, like, if someone asked me, it does not matter where we are. If you're like, hey, are you okay? How are you? I would start crying back in the day. I've gotten better at that, though, alhamdulillah. But um, I sat there and I was like, how are you? And I was like, 
thinking to myself just in my brain I was like yeah I'm fine like I'm, I'm fine you know like I have this going on and I just finished school and like this and then like I'm like wait no like why are you talking about your environment why are you talking about the fact that you finished school why are you talking about events how are you and I'll, it, it, I just sat there for like five minutes trying to think of an answer because I realized that we associate how we feel a lot with the events and the structured things in our environment that are going to come up or that have come up. And I was like, why am I asking myself that? Like, life is great. Like, I finished school. <laughs> you know, like, when you're on summer you're on summer break, you're like, life is great. Like, you know, and I was like, today's my first day of summer vacation. Why am I asking myself these questions? Why am I sitting here on a bed, you know, in a dark room, just sulking, staring at the wall? This is not what I expected for myself. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, get up. Like, let's let's do something, you know? Like, let's start a new activity. You're the one who said you want to start new hobbies. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, but how are you? And why can you not answer that? And it was in that moment that I realized for a very, very long time, I became not so connected with myself eternally and emotionally. And that was when I kind of it hit me. And I was like, crap, I did it again. And I started realizing that I was aggressively chasing and, you know, obsessing over sharing and helping others that I forgot about myself once again and I think forgetting about yourself is one of those things that you could never explain to anyone else because when sometimes you're doing habits and hobbies that you're comfortable doing like I'm comfortable recording a podcast I enjoy doing this it doesn't take any it doesn't take much of me right you consider it as self-care you're kind of like okay I'm just winding down talking you know this counts as self-care but I think sometimes the battle between your intentions and the battle, like, you know, of just your niyat and, like, why am I doing it? And then sometimes weighing out praise, weighing out criticism. And then, like, I feel like sometimes that is what takes you to an extreme end of feeling tired. And I think that that was something that I started to go through. After I was like, hey, how are you? And I just started thinking about it. I was like, I'm fine. Like, I'm good. Alhamdulillah, life is great. And I was like, so what What do you have planned for yourself? And that was when it hit me, strike two, that quite often in life, a lot of our plans revolve around the structured environments that we attend and go to, like school, you know, going through this, going through that. I have this event. I have this. I have this person coming to visit me. I'm flying out there this time. Like, like just structured events. And I was like, what about my plans for me personally unstructured what are things that i've been wanting to venture out on you know i have i have a bunch of random stuff in my life that i always wanted to try to get into i used to be into painting a lot and um because of school like i just haven't had much time but i started getting back you know focusing on it but it's like i want to start finding something new and at one point in my life i even tried mug painting <laughs> don't ask me why i enjoyed it but it was just i I didn't have the right material and I was just thinking I'm like you are always saying how school's consuming your time and you want to do this and you want to do that and you want this hobby and you want that well what do you want to do and I was like I don't know and it was it hit me again then that every single inch of my downtime it's always been about let me make content let me save content let me post content you know, and it's like, I love what I do. And I love giving that one. I love posting. I love talking about the Dean. I love just, I love doing it. But sometimes I think that I tend to neglect myself, which is why a lot of people, I think, forget this. I think that the biggest issue that I have 
seen is lots of girls and just people as a whole start social media platforms talking about the Dean without realizing that whether you have 50 followers or a million, your intentions need to be right. And I talk about this a lot where I have people that tell me, oh, you inspired me to start a podcast. And, you know, they're talking about this and that and how they're going to do this and that. And like when you first start something you love and something brand new, it's like every inch of your body is just so devoted to it, right? Like you love it. And then unfortunately, as time goes on, even if you love what you do, it sometimes gets like a little bit, I guess you could say pressurizing because you want to make sure that you're doing it right. And before anyone else judges my work, I judge my work and I'm vicious about it. I really am. I I used to never ever listen to my own podcast because I just couldn't handle it. I was like, ew. Um, I, like, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I just couldn't listen to my own podcast. And then as time went on, I started to like re-listen to what I say. And I was like, mm, be careful about that. I don't like that. I might just redo that. There's a lot of segments that you guys have never heard of. And I recorded and I was like, yeah no that's not going out there and so you know i'm quite vicious on the way that i produce work because i only want to put stuff out there that you know i feel like might benefit people and so i think that over time when you take a hobby and you apply pressure on it it kind of makes it a lot more difficult which is something that i teach myself not to do undeniably of course it happens i think that you know, when you are preaching the word, like, the thing is, here's the thing, like, when you're talking about the dean, you have to be careful. Like, I don't want to ever be held liable for putting out bad information, or even worse, false information, which is why I'm very, very vocal about what I can do and what I can't do. And this is something I want to talk in here, too, about. I think that when you talk about the dean, people put you on a pedestal that you don't, that you, first of all, you don't deserve to be on. And you're not qualified to be on. I have people in my DMs asking me questions that scholars are debating over. And while I appreciate you coming to me and thinking that I'm knowledgeable enough to answer this, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and act holier than thou and put myself on a skill that I'm not. I don't know the answer. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if scholars that have studied from the highest universities, 10, 20 plus years, are going through these hadiths and Quran verses, and they're like, oh, there's a little bit of, you know, like we're not sure what side we stand on. Some are this side, some are this side. Me, a normal 18-year-old living in Atlanta who has not done, you know, who's like, I'm not an Olive Martin like that. It's like, it's difficult for me to give you an answer. Now, I can give you resources. I can provide you with links and stuff. So hopefully you can figure out what you think is, you know, in regards to who you follow. But like, ultimately, I can't tell you. I think a lot of people don't understand this. So they get frustrated and flustered and upset and mad. And it's like, I wish people would understand that I cannot do that. Not just for my sake, but also for your sake. I don't want to be held liable for someone following something wrong for the rest of their lives. And I don't want you to be held liable for listening to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want you doing anything wrong either. So it's better for me to say, hey, I don't know, instead of me trying to act like I know. You know what I'm saying? Now, if you ask me about something that I do know, I'll tell you whatever I know. And I think another issue is like, I feel like lots of people think that we gatekeep stuff and it sucks because I know I personally, I don't. If you ask me, hey, how do I make a podcast? What app do you use? What RSS feed? I tell you everything. I tell you straight up. I send you voice notes. I tell you what it is as it is because what I do is not magical work. I do it for Allah. So 
if someone else wants to do it, go ahead. By all means, I'll help you. I'll teach you how to start up. Go ahead. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, I think that sometimes people are like, oh, what's the secret? How do you become successful? How do you gain followers? How do you do this? And it's like, you know, for the sake of Allah, tell us. And it's like, I see other people going through that too on their pages where they're like, tell us the truth. How'd you actually do this? And it's like, we don't have an answer. We don't have an answer. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I tell you what I do. I tell you my tactics. I tell you like, okay, this is how I post. This is when I post. And, you know, like always keep a pure niyat and pure intention. But it's like, what else can I tell you? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I think like a lot of people think that we're doing that to gatekeep our actual secrets. And there's no actual secret. <laughs> it's just, you know what I'm saying? And I think like another thing is also like, try to keep your intention clean as possible. You can have 50 followers and impact you know, lots of people and have reward written as if you change the world and vice versa. So like, it has a lot to do with your intention, which is why I'm talking about it. And so I think that we need to become a little bit understanding when it comes to people like podcasters and like me, like normal people that talk about the Dean are doing this because we don't have normal people talking about the Dean. That's one of the reasons also why I started. It's always really pious scholars, which mashallah Mila, keep them going. We should always learn, listen, and follow, you know, what they say. But um, sometimes when you just want to wind down, you just want to hear like a random person, you know, just like you talk. That, that's what I'm here for. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying to follow me and to follow what I say and da 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 da. Like, I'm here to help you when it comes in regards to lifestyle and trying to implement the deen more. But if you ask me about fiqh and stuff like that, like, I, how am I... You know what I'm saying? Like, it's 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 difficult. So anyway, that's my two cents on that. So as I was saying, I think that when you start to do something you love, you know, you devote your whole self to it. And I feel like when I first started my journey of podcasting and, you know, my Instagram, which I used to just make wallpapers on, I loved it. And then over time, I think, like, content pressure comes to you where people are like, why are you not posting? Why are you not posting? Or like, you know, you're like, you gotta post at least once a week on this and once a week on this and this and this and this. And it's like, it's like the thing about doing dawah online is that you also have to become really strategic about social media tactics because, you know what I'm saying? Like, you want people to hear what you gotta say. Because sometimes, unfortunately, some platforms, they just ban Muslims, period, as a whole. You post videos, dawah, ban, gone, shadow ban, community guidelines, apparently you did something. So it's like, you have to be strategic about those things. But at the same time, you need to also remember that the dawah, Whoever Allah has written for it to affect, it will affect, inshallah, right? So it's like, ultimately, you also need to remember that when coming home, whoever listens to it, God is willing for them to listen to it. So don't get so caught up on becoming social media tactic hungry, which is something that I don't pay too much mind to. You know how some, certain people are like, oh, we'll post on this time on TikTok and if you post this many times a day and this, this, this. In the beginning of my career, I really wanted people to know that I had a podcast and like I wanted people to hear about it because it wasn't getting anywhere. Getting your podcast kind of seen on Spotify is kind of difficult because no one knows your name. So it's very difficult for them to just type it in and be like, oh, let me search up, you know, this, this, this girl's podcast. They don't know your name. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, I was really caught up in promoting it and I actually loved it. And it wasn't like out of, um, I guess you could say clout intent. No, like it was out of, out of genuine like love intent. Like I loved what I did and I loved promoting it. And so like I used to like see like, okay, if I do this, this, this works out, this works out. And then as time went on, I just stopped caring as a whole because I just feel like, Alhamdulillah, like I have the people that I have. You know what I'm saying? Now, if my platform grows from here, Alhamdulillah. If it doesn't stay steady, Alhamdulillah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the people that are meant to be affected are meant to be changed. They will be changed. But I think that it's really important to pinpoint that you shouldn't become so focused on social media structures. And while it is important to, like, you know, if you're trying to expand and grow your dawah, it makes it like you're 
lifetime tag it is important to like know what you're doing but like don't make that everything you don't want to make it like a business you know what i'm saying so you have to be really really cautious and that's what i'm saying i feel like that's why a lot of people don't take any of this into account which is why a lot of people when they start doing what they do they quit by the first or second or third you know any content that they made whether it's a youtube video podcast whatnot they're like i just can't do it anymore and it's like you have to wire your brain to realize that whether the entire world sees it or whether no one sees it i like this as a hobby i think that it's a difficult discussion to explain when your hobby is essentially you know like doing that one posting stuff and you also want to see results but you need to wire your brain into realizing that this is how i kind of change my perspective and i want to talk about this with you guys real quick so Hopefully this will tie in what I'm talking about earlier. What I did yesterday was I was thinking and I was like, okay, let's say I am, you know, in front of an audience. Let's say I'm doing like a live. Let's say I'm on TikTok live, Instagram live, whatever, right? Let's say I'm, let's say I'm doing something where it's live, right? And someone really, really important comes in. Someone that can do stuff for me. Someone that is popular. Someone that may be well known in the Dawa community. Someone that can just impact your career in a positive way. What happens? Instantly, it's not about the audience. Now it's just about impressing that person, right? Because this is like someone that you know could do something for you. Likewise, if there's someone that you know you really look up to and they're like watching your work, what happens? That's that's the only the person you're thinking about. You just, you just start communicating with that person only, right? So your brain automatically, the audience just becomes the background. It's just me and this person, right? And I want you to start imagining that that most important person is not, you know, someone that you found online or someone that is a scholar someone that i forget that for a second the most important eyes the most important one that's watching is allah and so start to realize that while allah already knows what you're going to say in your dawah while he already knows what time and how and what you're going to say when you do dawah realize that he also is watching he's the all-seeing so while you're sitting here preaching also mentally think that god is also watching me do this and I feel like that really changed my life because then it wasn't like, oh, yeah, God already knows. I'm going to say God's already seeing. So God's already like, I don't have to like, you know, what I'm saying? you don't think about it. But when you actually think about it, and you're like, God's like, like, you know, like he's watching, like just like all these people are watching. He's watching and he's the old thing. He knows way more than anyone else. And he also knows what I'm about to say. So the old seeing is also a part of watching, you know, and all this is going on. And I feel like that really changed my mind because then it doesn't become about people and who compliments you. When you know that God's, you know, when God's vision and just God watching over you is the most valuable thing in the world, it just changes everything. So that's my thoughts on that. Anyway, I think that recently with everything that goes on in the world, I think that it's quite difficult to express opinions that may be viewed as controversial and like i said this is just a wine now and just me talking about stuff so wherever i head i head right but i think that it's really difficult for us to talk about like controversial things because people get really mad and you know i see a lot of the problems today and i don't i don't want to like start up a debate or anything because these are just my opinions you don't like them that's fine i just feel like a lot of the problems could be solved if people were muslim now I get it. Not everyone's Muslim. You can't, you know, impose religion on everybody. I'm not saying that. But as a Muslim, when you look at these issues and you look at well, how Islam has already addressed it, 
you're like, yeah, this was been done, talked about in Islam. This was been done, discovered, and had to figure out in Islam. So next, you know what I'm saying? And like people that are not Muslim are like fighting for their lives for like different causes or like different outcomes when like Islam has already given those. You know what I'm saying? And like I feel like when I see stuff like that, I'm just like, every day, you know, it makes me realize how powerful Islam is in the sense that it's not just like worship. It's also like a whole structure in regards to finance and how you live your life and stuff like that. And I think that's beautiful. But I just feel like I feel like a lot of people don't recognize that. And it shows you like Islam is meant to implement in every single corner of your life, you know, from your finances to your worship. It's meant to be implemented to our best extent. So that's my two cent thoughts on that. But anyway, I think that it's difficult to talk about anything controversial because people don't like what you got to say. And I think that that's another thing that I had to really wire in my brain that when you speak huck, don't worry if people don't like it or not. You know what I'm saying? If people don't like what you got to say, the whole world is against you. That's fine. That's fine. But if God is by your side, you're winning. What can the world do when God is by your side? And what can the world do when God is against you? What? You know what I'm saying? Like nothing with or against God. Like God does not need anyone. God does not... You know what I'm saying? Like, God is so powerful on his own that, like, even if the whole world was to be against you, it doesn't matter. Because if you have God on your side, you're always going to win. And I think that that's one of the things that I always try to wire in my brain. You know, I have people that dislike the things that I say, that disagree with me on certain stuff, and that's fine. That's fine. But that doesn't mean I stop what I do just because you don't like what I have to say. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I to my best extent, to whatever I can, I try to derive it from what Islam tells us and speak huck and speak truth to my best capability that God has blessed me with. But ultimately, you know, if you disagree with me, that's that's you. That's fine. And I think that it's really difficult to talk about disagreements because lots of people take it to an unhealthy route. Disagreements don't have to be unhealthy. Matter of fact, I feel like when I make friends, I kind of want them to disagree with me on certain topics. I'm not in, I'm not saying in regards to faith. I prefer my friends to be Muslim. But let's say I keep opinion A and you keep opinion B. And this is not in regards to deen. Let's just say it's about politics or social problems, whatever, right? And you think like, okay, this is a better infrastructure. It's a better plan. I think that this is better. We disagree. That's fine. That's fine. I think that disagreements are healthy. I think that healthy disagreements build better relationships. I think that healthy disagreements build better healthy bonds because you realize that, okay, well, this person thinks like this and I think like this, but we still love each other. We still understand each other. We still care for each other. I disagree with my best friend on quite a few things when it comes in regards to actually politics. You know, I don't like politics, period. I disagree with U.S. politics as a whole. That's just my two cents, right? Um, and however someone else may feel about it is their two cents and we can talk about it. We can talk about it. We can, you know, understand each other. But at the end of the day, I think healthy disagreements make better people. I think that you learn to become a lot more tolerant to the fact that not everyone has to think like you. I think lots of people grow up in a scope where every single friend that they made, every single human interaction that they made and had was similar to them. So they live in a scope that everyone's like me, everyone has to be like me, and everyone has to act like me to be with me. And this is so bad. Because when you actually go out there in the real world and you realize that not everyone thinks like you, not everyone acts like you, not everyone dresses like you, not everyone even likes you, you have the biggest me mental breakdown. Because you're like, oh my god, like this is not like you know high school, this is not like this. And I know for a fact firsthand, like high schools that I've been through, schools that I've been through, lots of people just stay with people of their own scope, of their own color, of their own background, of their own financial statuses, of their own stabilities. And it's kind of sad because it's like there's no diversity majority of the time and it sucks. But at the same time, it's like that also happens with like popularity and whatnot. Like people don't want to hang out with people that are not popular and they want to stay up with the people that are because they think that hanging out with someone that's not popular makes them weird. And it's, I don't even know. And it's just like I feel like people that just live within their own scope with the people that act like them, dress like them, are like them, and just identical copies. It's like, 
you don't ever get to experience life and see other people's outlooks on life because you're too busy scooping up people that fit your scope of life. And that's the problem. Lots of people have never had diverse experiences and open-minded experiences because they scoop up people within friend groups that are just like them so they can be with people that are just like them just so they can continue to act the way that they are without ever having anyone to tell them, hey, I disagree with you. I think healthy disagreements make lots of better bonds. I think healthy disagreements make people better people because you learn to become a lot more tolerant to the fact that someone may not like what I got to say, but I like... You know, I like what I got to say. They may not like me. I like them. That's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, you get to that ratio, middle ground. And I think that's very important. I think that lots of workforces and schools talk about, you know, experience. You have experience. You have to be in club. You do this. I think one of the biggest experiences is disagreement. Realizing that while someone may not like me, I may not like them. We can come on common terms. Someone may disagree with me on this. I may disagree with them. But that's fine. We can still mutually talk and respect each other. But lots of people take healthy disagreements and turn them unhealthy and toxic by thinking that they are the only ones that are superior and arrogant and i read this beautiful i heard this beautiful quote yesterday and it really hit my heart and it was something among these lines it said that sins that are done through desires are better than sins that are done through arrogance because when you do sins through arrogance you are prideful about it so your mind says well i don't care because that's just how that's just how i am that's just me back off don't tell me what you do I don't care what you have to say. But sins that are done through desire, you did it out of that momentary desire. But now you also know that, oh crap, like I need repentance. I I need to get better. Because after your desires fade, you realize where you went wrong, right? And it reminds us a lot of Adam al-Islam and Iblis and how Iblis did it out of arrogance. You know what I'm saying? He was like, oh, well, I don't have to bow. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. You know, I'm better than that. Well, Adam al-Islam, he did it out of desire. He did it out of an impulse, quick impulse, you know, what's what's that, shaitan, whatnot. And then right when he did it, you know, Allah taught him the words of repentance. So it's like sins that are done out of desire. Of course, we should avoid sin as a whole, but sins that are done out of desire are better than sins done out of arrogance. Because when you do it out of arrogance, you don't want to hear that you're wrong. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with arrogance is that people that are arrogant don't actually recognize that they're arrogant because they are, they're like, that's just how I am. And I think that when you get comfortable saying that's just how I am without ever actually looking at how you are, you don't recognize who you are. So when people tell you something about yourself you get really really upset because you're like that's not me that's not me but you yourself don't even know who you are because you ultimately never took that time out because you're so arrogant and caught up in the image of that's just me that's just me and some people like that also turn towards narcissistic you know personality disorder which is a legit thing people act like it's not npd it's a legit thing and um i think that people that are really arrogant in regards to that it's it's very dangerous and male protect us all from that on me but it's also like you never want to do a sin out of arrogance. That's one of the biggest things that I'm telling you will wreck you. Male protect us all from that because, you know, we're all, we all mess up, right? But doing sins out of arrogance and then justifying it, it makes it very difficult for you to come to common terms to realize that it's wrong. And sometimes what happens is when you don't realize it's wrong, you don't ask repentance for it. So it just becomes a lifestyle moment. You know, there's certain people that no matter how much you tell them, music's haram. They're like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Look at this, 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 this. It's not haram. It's not haram. It's not haram. You'd be like, okay, well, if you think it's not haram and you let it go for the sake of Allah, don't you think you'll get a reward? No, 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 music's not haram. Okay, fine, fine. You don't think it's haram? Fine. But it's like at the end of the day, you know, you've now justified it to such an extent that you don't even realize that it's wrong. So you're not, you know what I'm saying? We can't judge who repents and who doesn't. You know, that's not our case. But like sometimes what happens is when you get so arrogant and so comfortable with it, it becomes dangerous to your ahira and to your world in this current and on. So may Allah protect us all from that. Essentially, I think that all of this is just like it really rounds back to how you deal with people 
And I think that dealing with people is another thing that is just weird on its own. Because again, like you disagree with people, that's fine. You know, I disagree with people about lots of different things. I think that I disagree with a lot of the way that the U.S. works. I disagree with a lot of the way that some of the systems are here. I disagree with a lot of the ways that people choose to, I guess you could say, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it. Like, I guess there's certain things that I don't necessarily like, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, I can't sit here and pinpoint you and be like, oh, you're doing it wrong. Because, you know, I keep different moral beliefs than other people do. And I think that as time goes on, like, you learn to become a lot more tolerant. And I think that becoming tolerant is a very, very great thing. I think that becoming tolerant and patient is great. I think that, unfortunately, lots of our society has made it seem like if you disagree with someone and, you know, you're an intolerant person, you have to show anger. And that is what makes you big and bad. And unfortunately, I've seen this in men more than women, where if they disagree with someone, it's, you know, they have to express authority and express abuse and express, you know, things like that to make themselves feel like, you know, they're on a pedestal and to be like, OK, you're wrong. So you got to listen to me. And I feel like that's kind of an issue that also our communities deal with, where men feel like they are not men unless they express some type of abusive authority or they express some type of verbal authority that is oppressive. There's a difference between doing it Islamically, guiding, helping, growing, and then also doing it in a manner of oppressiveness. And that causes, you know, spiritual sickness and all these other things. And I think that that is another issue that we go through with everything that's going on. Because while your intentions may have not been that, we don't know. But you have to be really careful about your execution as well. There's times when you intend good things and the execution comes out bad. And then, you know, you apologize. You realize you, you fix it. Fine. But, like, sometimes your intentions go lost and your execution comes out bad too. But you don't care enough to say that, hey, it was wrong because you are so arrogant in what you already have you know built of yourself so i think that that's an issue and i think that this unfortunately you know i saw a video on this and i i, I think y'all can tell by now i'm just rambling i'm just talking about what now i'm branching it off but you know i saw this video on tiktok and it was really really sad it was really sad it was like this video and um and i guess i guess you could say really portrayed what unfortunately this culture does to women i don't like it there's certain things about it that i dislike a lot I think that the way Islam treats women is the best, right? But it was this girl and she was in the kitchen, right? And it looked like maybe like someplace back home. It did not look like the U.S. And because you could just tell by the build of the house. And she was wearing her whole langa, her whole wedding outfit. And she was literally like, I. this was the audio telling me. So I don't know if it was like a satire little joke thing, but it wasn't, it was not cool. And I mean, this is not the first time that we've seen jokes like this either. You see these happen everywhere on old platforms. And she was like low-key looking like she was about to cry. And like she was being forced to like make giant stuff. And like she just now like got married. Like I, from the way that she was dressed and everything, her makeup was still on, you know, she still had everything on and like, um, and those heavy clothes. She was like being forced to make giant. It's like, I don't know if that video is just like satire. Cause I mean, there's lots of videos like that on the internet, you know, where they're like, showing how like what brides have to do right when they get married and stuff i know that there's lots and lots of videos like that on youtube and wherever right and it's just portrayed through media period how like in desi culture like the day the woman gets married like get to the kitchen and start working and i feel like this is more of an issue in forced arranged marriages if anything i think that arranged marriages have a lot of stigma around them that they're bad and i don't think that arranged marriages are bad i think that if arranged marriages are done correctly they're they're amazing i think that that is what leads you to goodness 
I'm not married though, so I'm just telling my two cents, okay? But um, there's actually statistics that talked about how arranged marriages are more successful than the ones that are love-bound. Because when it's love-bound, it's like a lot of the stuff you've already, you know, been done through. Especially when you see it outside of Islam perspective. And it's like, I heard that arranged marriages from statistics seem to become a lot more successful. Now, what we define as success is another thing. And I think that a lot of people have a lot of stigma and hatred towards arranged marriages. And I get these DMs a lot from girls, y'all. Go through my DMs, girls crying about marriage. Um, and I think the issue with that is that a lot of us look at the arranged marriages that our parents had and think that that's how it has to be. And that's not necessarily how it has to be. And I know that this is like random me talking about this, but like this was a topic that lots of people always ask about. Um, but I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with it. I think that if you know and you're doing it the right way, the halal way, and you're putting Islam in the center of the values and not culture in the center of values i think that you'll be fine i think that's the i think it's a good halal way to meet, meet someone and whatnot right um and then anytime i say this, people are like oh well would you want to have that and i'm like yeah why not like I, I just don't care you know what i'm saying like i i don't care like i'm pretty laid back about that like you know like what am i supposed to say like i mean I, of course i think like ideally it's better for you to like know someone and be like okay i like this person cool but like that's not always the case you know what i'm saying and i think that lots of i get lots of dms from girls that are like oh well my parents found someone back home and they're good people but i don't know if i want to say yes i don't know if i want to say no and the problem with that is no one's forcing you to say yes no one's forcing you to say no but you have to ultimately make a decision because you can't keep other people waiting as well either you know what i'm saying like the other party you can't just keep them waiting for five years because you don't know if you want to say yes or no you have to take an account like does this person consider me and you know my values and whatnot like you have to take those things into account right like for me um I hope that if I go to college, you know, stuff fig figures out on its own, you know, in the halal way. But, like, if not, like, you know, my parents, back to Pakistan, they run. And that's just, it's, I'm not against it because it's, like, ultimately what else am I supposed to do? You know what I'm saying? So, it's, like, you need to know whether or not this person, whether they're back home or whether they're here, aligns with your values. If they're not praying, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. No no like i don't care i talked about this with lots of people before too i don't care what you work as if you're not praying you're not doing this you're not doing that no 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 and oh no that's it it's simple like that and it's like no one can change my mind on that you need to become very very firm on what you say yes to and what you say no to because that's the problem lots of girls and even guys don't know that so they say yes blindly without ever taking account of how can this person be for me and Am I able to compromise on this? Am I not able to compromise on that? They don't care. They don't think about it. And the problem with that is that then you get married to someone, you treat them like crap because you're like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this about them. Well, no one said you had to deal with that if you understood yourself enough to know what you would take and what you wouldn't, right? It's it's always been that easy. It's always been that easy. And um, I think that lots of people have stigmas around arranged marriages and they say that it leads to gates of abuse. And I think that that happens in cases. It happens. It definitely happens. But I think that, sure, if you put a culture in the center, it's going to happen. For sure. Because I think that if you and your partner are not both deen-oriented and aligned, I think that culture comes in the way. And I think that the way that it is stigmatized that women have to be in the kitchen, women have to do this, is so shameful. How are you a woman and you don't know how to do this? And, you know, you're referring to all how women should be like this and women should be doing this and this, this, this. But I'm not talking to you about how the Prophet, peace be upon him, literally did his own laundry, knew how to cook and handle his own stuff on his own. We don't say that, right? That's because we don't put Islam in the center. We like to make it culture. Culturally, women should know how to cook. I'm Pakistani. I'm telling you, if you don't know how to cook, if you're a girl and you don't know how to cook, the aunties jump you. It's the end for you. Now, I know how to cook because I like doing it. I like doing it out of like 
passion, right? Like I like to cook, right? It's something I enjoy doing. But, you know, if you don't know how to cook, it's like you get jumped. You know what I'm saying? And it's like people bring that up. People talk about that and da-da-da. And I think cooking is a good life skill that you should have for yourself, man and woman. I don't know why we've addressed cooking to just women. Cooking is really therapeutic, okay? <laughs> you need to learn how to cook. It's therapeutic. But um, if we're talking culturally, people have stigmatized it, right? And it's like people like to be like, oh, she doesn't know how to cook. So she's like the worst person in the world. And it's like, it, it's it's weird. I don't know. I just find a lot of the cultural standards weird. And I think that they've made it seem like the only thing a man has to do is bring money when there's a lot more to, towards that. And I think that some men also think that even after they have families, all they have to do is contribute money, um, you know? You play roles before you're a money machine. So, like, I feel like people don't think about that enough. And so, as I was saying, I think, like, with arranged marriages, I think the gates of abuse open up a lot when you put culture in the center. Because if you're talking culturally, this is my opinion. I don't think that cultural standards can ever be fulfilled, especially not Pakistani cultural standards. Change my mind. Fight with me. Fight with the wall. You can't change my mind. I think that the cultural standards for Pakistanis are just so difficult that you will never be able to achieve them and you'll never be able to change them which is why I don't like to address myself with them and I don't like to care enough for them because at the end of the day if I follow what Islam tells me got God by my side the whole world's against me that's fine but like I think that Pakistani standards culturally are so severe that our mothers and all just generations before us when they went through it, they knew how bad it was. And I think that at one point, everyone becomes numb to it. So they pass it on. And it's kind of like generational trauma where lots of, even if you're not Pakistani, like they see they go through a lot of crap. And then, you know, at one point they become numb towards it and they don't give a crap anymore. And so they put that on their kids because they don't realize it. And now, alhamdulillah, my mom has never done that to me. You know what I'm saying? Like my parents, alhamdulillah, right? But like I see it happen in lots of other households as well. And it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to look at what Islam tells you in regards to culture. And I think that Pakistani standards in regards to culture are toxic, are disgusting. And I think that we also have to talk about the fact that, you know, certain men, they only... Okay, where am I going off on this? I'm, I'm going on a tangent. There's a lot of things that I disagree with about Pakistani culture. I'm sorry. And I think that we don't talk about it because we don't want to get criticized. And I mean, I, I've seen the end of the share of, you know, judgment. But like, at this point, I've said too much to not say. You know what I'm saying? I think that... The way that men in Pakistan, especially, I've noticed, do this thing where they're like, oh, well, I only want to marry the youngest of young women. Even if she doesn't mentally, morally, physically, like, in no way, shape, or form, is she, like, um compatible to me. I just want to marry the youngest of the youngest. And that is so... Ugh. Ugh. Gross. My opinion. My opinion. Gross. Ugh. Because look. Look, 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 look. In Islam, you need to be getting married for quite a few different reasons, right? But one of them also being that you mentally and emotionally feel like this person's compatible to you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not just about lustful reasons, right? And when men want to marry women that are literally like 12, and it's like, you're 32, and you have girls that are like 25, 24, 22 that are interested in you, 26 that are interested in you, and you're like, oh, I don't want anyone in their 20s. Too old, too old. Brother, you're 32. You're 32, brother. That's so... Do you hear the silence? And you know, it's like, it's not even about shut them, dude. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like, you have to look at the emotional and mental capacity of this individual. Homegirl's 12. You have no emotional mental capacity relation with her. You're 32. You're a grown man. You have a job. You know, you've, you've seen the life. She's 12. She's 12. 
And then, you know, people, again, and I want to bring this up here, people like to bring about Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and Aisha, I'll be pleased with her. There's no issue in that. There's none. Because back in the day, the whole lifespan, the whole trajectory, the whole thing about when women hit puberty and just everything like that was different. That was completely different. That time and today's time are completely different things, not to mention, y'all act like there wasn't consent in that. There was. There was consent. It was perfectly okay. And Aisha, I'll be pleased with her, was, from what we see, very happy with the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So it's like, at the end of the day, you know, emotional, mental capacity, all those things are taken into account. Also, back in the day, girls that grew up in deserts, grew up in harder times, were just a lot more mature and wiser than what it is today. A 12-year-old today is still playing, like, you know, on her iPad, like Subway Surfers or something. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, you can't justify. And I feel like that's what sucks because culturally they nitpick and bring stuff out whenever they want to. Whenever men that are like 50 want to marry a girl that's like 12, they're like, oh, well, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and Aisha, those people who got married at such a big age gap, you're not realizing the stuff back then was completely different. That time and today's time are completely different times. So don't try to justify, you know, getting married to someone for lustful reasons and a lot of the times i've noticed it is for lustful reasons and what i'm talking about right now is about lustful reasons when people like to justify and sugarcoat it but all they care about is lustful reasons and it's like you cannot bring up whenever whatever you want whenever you want just to justify your lust you know what i'm saying because mental emotional capacity is a really big discussion and, and of course allah knows best allah knows best and what i'm essentially trying to say here is you can't sit here and you know do this type of stuff just because you have lustful reasons it's like, you're a grown dude, bro. Get it together. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I have a whole episode on this where I talk about culture, right? And I think like in Pakistani culture, I feel like they're like, oh, well, it's an older guy, so that's good. And it's like, there's, there's a difference, right? Like four, five, six, maybe, maybe even 10 years, maybe. But it's like, okay. But if it's like 25, 30 years, it's like, Like, what do you want me to say like it's just like i question it a lot because it's like it just cannot be a mental emotional capacity thing i mean allah knows best right allah knows best maybe that is the case for some people i don't know but like a mental emotional capacity thing maybe that's the case for some people i don't know but majority of the time at eight because let's be honest if a girl's 12 what mental emotional capacity depth does she really have except the stuff that she's seen in her environment you know it's weird. And that's why I think like Pakistani culture and just their expectations are baffling because they're willing to sacrifice women like a goat. Say it as it is. They're will Pakistani culture is willing to sacrifice women like Bakra. It's Eid. <laughs> they're just they're willing to do that. And it's like, why are you doing that? Do you not know how much Islam values women? Why are you doing crap like that? And it's like they will sacrifice their daughters, sacrifice all of that in the name of some meher and whatnot, and then be like, oh, you know, got her married to a good place. Dude, she's crying her eyes out every night. What are you talking about? I don't know. And I think that, like, that's why a lot of people are also against arranged marriages. Because they think all arranged marriages are like that. No. If you and the person have a proper mental, emotional, physical capacity, understand each other, you know, good, stable lifestyle, whatnot. And it's not, like, about lustful reasons. Like, yeah, fine. You know, you meet someone the halal way. Your parents do the talking. Your parents do the digging. You don't got no business in that. I don't see an issue with that. I don't. <laughs> I don't but when we're talking about extreme end spectrum like that that are so cultural it's like no mm -mm. and another part of the spectrum is like I think cultural wise especially for Pakistanis like 
as girls they just don't want you to care about yourself which is something that i've noticed a lot they don't want you to care about yourself at all period you know there's a different thing between being like super narcissistic and arrogant obsessed with yourself and like doing basic self-care like kind of like oh hey let me just get to bed on time you know let me just make sure that i can get a couple more hours of sleep in maybe i feel tired maybe i don't feel good today so let me just stay in bed like no no get up go to the kitchen what are you doing what do you mean you what do you mean you don't feel good what do you mean you don't feel good like you know what i'm saying and it's just like all of these things and i think about them and it's just like mm. no no and another problem is living with the in-laws let's talk about that too because that was a question that i had one of my discussion, people are like, oh, what's your two cents about living in your in-laws and whatnot? I think that what happens is Pakistani culture, they're really like, oh, you have to live with your in-laws. You have to live with them. You have to live with them. Not realizing that that's more of a cultural thing, if anything. And, like, the thing is about that, it's like, if your parents are old and, you know, you want to take care of them, stay with them, it's a good, healthy environment, sure, no problem. And, you know, stuff like that. But I think that lots of people think that Islam bounds you to that. Like, like, you have to live with your in-laws, and that's not true. Because there's lots of cases where they lived separately. They lived away. They lived near their parents, visited their parents, but they lived away. That's fine, too. But, like, if you have, like, old parents, and you want to stay with them, and you know they're good people, you know, like, it's, like, not going to be something that really affects you. You want to take care of them? Okay, whatever. You know, no, no issue. But, like, you also have to ultimately realize that, like, culture makes women that don't want to live with their in-laws look like monsters. We're not monsters for not wanting to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are certain cases where... The in-law drama, do we even have to talk about it? The in-law drama is psycho sometimes. The stuff that goes on, the manipulation, the lies, the stories, the gaslighting is crazy. So sometimes girls just don't want to get into that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, like if it's a healthy, good, positive environment, okay, cool, whatever, right? But right now I'm talking about the toxic part. And if it's toxic, it's like and a girl doesn't want to live into that. Y'all literally will beat her to death. How dare you say you don't want to live with my mom that gaslights and manipulates, hits and forces you to work in the kitchen for 10 hours straight? How dare you? How dare you say that? What? <laughs> what? Like, is this... What? Like, it? your wife is your partner, not your slave. It's not your slave. She does not have to stick here and deal with situations that will weaken her iman and deal with, you know, getting abused and whatnot and not have no time to take care of herself. Like, what, what's going on? What's going on? And it's like cultural make you seem like a monster if you say, no, thank you. I, I'm not okay with that. I mean, it ain't no bad either. Like, I'm gonna be honest with you. I love, um, I think that there are some aspects of, you know, Pakistani culture that's great. Like the way that I hope majority of people, um, I hope that this is the case in all families, are really, really giving. You know, you give a lot. You are always giving food. You know, you make food. You give it to other people. I find that to be really beautiful. And the reason why is because I feel like... I know this in Pakistan, like, I remember when I visited Pakistan, so when I, anytime I visit Pakistan, I usually stay in Sialkot, right, because that's where most of my family is, and then my dad's side is from Lahore, right, so I actually have never been to, like, okay, when I use, when I visit Lahore, like, you know how people are like, oh, Lahore is great, like, you know, they go places and stuff, like, I've never really, I went to the mall, <laughs> I went to the mall, I think I went to, like, some zoo area, I don't know, but that's it, like, I've never been, been, been to Lahore, like, you know how people, like, visit and go around like i've never done that um i stay in Sialkot most of the time and i love it i love that place um i know some people may hate it <laughs> maybe like that's too much going on there but i i like it okay i like it so i usually stay in Sialkot, right so um like even when i was there i remember one time i went around <sighs> winter season and like they were just giving cakes no reason they're like 
just you know and it was at my grandparents house like just ring the bell hey here's a cake and like like you know what i'm saying like or like hey here's food and it's like they just kind of do that like that's just kind of something that you do and so like if your neighbors give you cake you get them cake and give them cake and like you know you get cake and you give them cake and then give the next person cake and it's just like it's cute like i like that and i think one of the things that i really noticed is like you know if you know your family is like that and they're good people inshallah you know like the hospitality in like a good way it's really nice you know like the way that they treat you and they care for you and whatnot it's really good um but i think that's one of the things that i really do love about desi culture period is like the way that we're really really giving especially when it comes to feeding people inshallah may accept it from us i find that beautiful i think it's really nice to be very very open you know and i like that i feel like after i moved to the u.s i remember when i first lived in brooklyn new york i lived in like um a building and that's a whole other story i think it, actually i might just share that story today because it's it's a dark one um it's not necessarily dark it's just i feel like there was there was a lot of tea like you know um i think that lots of people view people's parents who've kind of gotten out of places as privileged and think that they're over their head and that's definitely not the case but um i remember when i lived there it wasn't I was really little, so I didn't know much. But um, it was like a two-bedroom place, and there was five of us, I think. And it was like um, my younger brother was little at the time, so like he just slept with my parents, and then me and my sister slept together. And it was, you know, the thing about New York that I really just like. Let's just talk about it for a second. Maturing is realizing that New York is mad dangerous. It is, and like I've been knew that growing up, New York's dangerous. But like now, when I see what's also going on there in the news and just on TikTok, period, like. New York is not a good place to stay. Don't change. You can't change my mind. I love New York. I love the way that you can just walk places. I love the culture. I love the food. If there was anyone that was an advocate for the gyro stand, it was me. I told my friend, I'm like, if I ever visit New York, like you need to have the gyro on standby for me. Because like, I, I love, I love all those things. And I love that place. It's a great place to visit. It's not a good place to stay. And maturing is realizing that. A lot of people don't like to accept that. They're like, oh, well, what do you want to do? Live in the South, live with trees, live with woods. What you're not understanding is that you have to live in a home at one point or another before you talk about living outside. You get my point? Whether you live in a house, an apartment, a complex, whatever, where you live has a lot to do with your mental, emotional health. And while the outside culture is great, you also have to take care of where you are at, at home with your family. You know, just all those concepts make a change. And one of the big things about New York that I remember growing up, like if you live in New York, and I'm talking about real people that live in New York know this. And if you're getting grossed up by what I'm about to say right now, I'm I'm sorry, but you just I'm sorry, but you're just not well aware of the New York culture. I'm sorry. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I moved a while ago. Um bed bugs are really common there. Okay. Let's get straight to the jump. Bed bugs are really common there. And if you are a real New Yorker, you know that. Like the bed bugs very common and it's not it has nothing to do with being un unclean nothing it's just the way that the infrastructure of those buildings and the way that you stay in this just stuff like that like it was really common and getting rid of bed bugs there's <laughs> impossible very difficult you can put as many bed bug sprays you can have professionals come you can have powders you know just everything like and we had all of that they just don't go and i remember one time in kindergarten no not kindergarten i think like second grade what happened was particular was in school you know how when it used to be winter season when it's cold in new york it's like cold 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 right and so it's like you're wearing those big puffy jackets they used to take make us take our big puffy jackets and like put them in like bags so like if anyone did have bed bugs on it, it wouldn't affect other people but a lot of times just hanging up your jackets in a communal area like things slipped and it's not even that people were unclean it's just that's just how new york is like you sit on a chair you don't even know that there could be like a bed bug living under it and it's disgusting 
I mean, I'm honest, gross, but it, that's how it is there. Mouses, stuff like that. Like, it's a lot of the problems came from the building infrastructure because they were so old that no matter what you did, like, to fix those things, you got to break them down. And, like, that just wasn't an option with thousands of people living in them. And it was just, like, there was issues with that, right? And, I mean, I'm not trying to sound privileged or anything like that because I get that. And I lived in those places for a very, very long time. That's a, it's a common issue. But um, it was my family, and we lived in two bedrooms, and the kitchen was small. And it was just, like, growing up, like, I never really noticed it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was okay. Like, whatever. And then, um, we eventually, you know, alhamdulillah, don't live there anymore. But it was, like, one of those things that, like, even within the building, no matter what your circumstances was, we were giving. Like, people were giving. And I remember when my mom first moved in, she was an immigrant. And, you know, she came from Pakistan. And she was, like, she <laughs> she was, like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, I'm in a building. And I remember, like, a bunch of the aunties who just knocked on the door, like, hey, we got food. Come on. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that was, like, one of those things there that I feel like in Pakistani culture, like, you kind of bond over giving each other biryani. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, knock on your door. Here's some flour. And, like, you know, that, that's just how you become friends. And so it's, like, I like that. And I like the way that that was because I remember, like, especially, like, when it was Eid or just Juma, just, you don't need it. You don't need it a day. Like, people just knock on your door. Hey, here's some biryani. You know, you want to come over, drink chai. Like, it was just it was just like that. And I like that a lot about how these cultures are, like, when it comes in regards to that. Because after moving here, living alone, it's not really like that at all. Um, by far, even if you do have Pakistani, they see community around you. It's not like that at all. And so they don't really care that much. You know, it's just not as, I guess you could say, loving as it is in New York. New York is a whole other experience because it's like everyone there is like immigrants. Everyone there is from somewhere. But whether you're brand new, like you just now came or you've been there for the past 25 years, it's like you resonate with people in their own way. And that I find that always beautiful and amazing. So um, here, however, it's not necessarily 100% like that. And so when I do have people like, you know, aunties that come to my house and be like, hey, how are you? Here's some food. You know, like if I was a little me would not care. I'd be like, OK, cool, whatever. Anyway, let's go get some M&M's. Like, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, let's go get some candy. You know what I'm saying? But like older me now that I when I see people do that, I feel like it really sits in my brain. I'm like, that's that's kind of nice because it's like in southern areas and like just living where it's really not lots of immigrants. I feel like people who take the time out to do stuff like that, it's very sweet, you know, um, and I think that's one thing that I don't ever want my family to stop doing. And I want other people to stop doing. I don't know if I was to ever grow up and, like, have my own house. And, like, I was a mom. <laughs> and, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I was ever, like, an adult adult. And I, I find that funny to say because I'm literally 18. But, like, um, I know that's one thing that I always want to do. Like, give food. Like, you know, just randomly go out to someone's house. But, like, hey, here's some food, you know. Like, I feel like I feel like it's deep. I feel like it says a lot. Although people think it doesn't. I think that it's, especially where we live here, it's just not common at all. So I think that that was one of those things that, like, if you're in New York, like, you you get it. You know what I'm saying? So that's one of those things that really stick in my mind quite often. And, yeah, I think that's one of those things that I find really amazing. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not all bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, the culture's not all bad. The culture's not all horrible as people try to make it seem. Um, and I'm not trying to make it seem like it's bad either. I just think that when it comes to the family dynamic, Pakistani culture has some issues with the roles and the expectations and stuff that you put on one person more than the other and whatnot or you know whatnot and the ignorance towards some things and that's why i just think that putting islam in the center of it always fixes you know everything if god wills so yeah i'm sorry if that sounded like i was just insulting my own culture that's definitely not the case i was definitely i'm definitely not okay with the toxic traditions though i think i actually wrote a paper on toxic traditions <laughs> i wrote a paper on toxic traditions for one of my classes where all of us know it's toxic, but we don't stop it because it's a tradition. And to stop a toxic tradition, there there's a lot of backlash that you face. So to to like actually actively stop it, you go through a lot of backlash because you're stopping something toxic 
and you receive toxic backlash for stopping something toxic, while it makes sense to stop it, you get what I'm saying? Like, everyone inside worldwide agrees that, crap, this is wrong, let's not do this. They know it's wrong. But mentally, they're also not ready to stop it because they know what a big war it takes to stop it, and it doesn't logically make sense because they're tired of it emotionally, but they don't want to do anything about it when someone does something about it, which is like, yeah, that that's that's quite a lot of things among lots of cultures where you know, hey, that's wrong, we should all fix that. I don't, I don't know if I want to fix that. Just shut up, bear it through, and it's like, you know, I pray God protects us all from those situations. I mean, because it's terrifying, and you know, <sighs> inshallah, Allah makes it right. Anyway, does anyone want a cameo for my cat? Because we can do that right now. Say something. Say something. Meow or something, please. Come here. Do meow, please. Hey, don't try to bite me, but the maze. What is this behavior? You know it's serious when the Urdu comes out. It is. Seriously. It's very serious when the Urdu comes out. Y'all hear him purring and whatnot? Okay, good, 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 good. You know what's one thing that I always find weird is the fact that I look at my statistics, right? And, like, I know that I have Pakistani people listening to me that live in, like, the U.S., U.K., Canada because, like, they've told me. But, like, when it comes to actually Pakistan itself, my analytics show me that no one really there listens except, like, maybe maybe even a percent, not even. And I know that there's, like, maybe one or two people in Pakistan that do listen to me because they've told me personally. But, like... My statistic-wise doesn't show me that people listen to me there, and I don't know why. I had one person once ask me, like, hey, I live in Pakistan. How can I get access to your podcast? And I was like, it's on Spotify. Like, what? They're like, no, like, podcasts are, some podcasts apparently are banned, or podcasts as a whole are banned. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but I don't know why. Why, why do they do that? Because, I mean, like, not all podcasts are bad anyway, but, like, I don't know. Maybe it's just something to do with the media. I don't know, but I honestly feel like Pakistani aunties would not like my podcast anyway. Um because i talk about toxic traditions that they want to break but they don't break and they force their daughters to go through them um yeah i don't think pakistani aunties would like my work i really don't um but you know you know you know it is what it is it is what it is but um i know like alhamdulillah my parents were fine with it you know they were supportive but like i remember when i told my mom about my podcast I told her late. I was not ready to tell anyone of my family. I barely told my own close friends. In the beginning, I like acted like an anonymous account and they were like, Who's this? Who's this? Right? But um barely told them. And when I told my mom she was really nice about it, Alhamdulillah. Which was good because I know that in some cases like girls have to hide their socials because, you know, like family back home and just everyone starts getting on ruckus about it. And I feel like if someone's talking about the dean, why are you upset? You know, like I know that there's cases where like girls are talking about the dean, their family back home's getting pissed off. Why are you talking about that? Why are you saying that? Da, da, da. You know, like delete your stuff. And it's just like if someone's talking about the dean, what's your problem? You know what I'm saying? I mean Alhamdulillah went smooth. When I told my mom I had a podcast, it was like gradually people found out too. Um and I remember the day, you know, people at home found out in Pakistan. And alhamdulillah, it went smooth. It went smooth. You know, I have lots of my family that actually follows me. So I'm a thousand percent grateful for that experience. And the reason why I'm sharing that on here is like so people can be a little bit more brave, especially my girls. Like if you want to do dawah, don't be scared of what people back home got to say. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, lots of people are going to criticize you for your dawah and be like, oh, you know, don't talk. Stay silent. Stay in a home. Cook. Don't let me hear your voice. And stuff like that. And it's just like, Islam, no. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, if you want to do dawah, you want to help, go ahead. And um, don't be so scared of what people got to say. You know what I'm saying? I knew that, like, when getting into what I get into, I knew that some Pakistani communities, like, if the aunties, if the aunties had Spotify, the aunties had Google Podcast. The aunties would eat me. Okay? Uh, done. Gone. Oh, oh, maybe some of them might be supportive. I think I think that some of them would be supportive. But I think that the ones that are a little bit really consumed in toxic traditions so would be like, someone come get their daughter because she got problems. But like at the same time, like you have to ask yourself, why are you having such a big problem with someone talking about that one, talking about toxic traditions and cultures that you personally suffered with and are depressed of? So many aunties that are in their 40s, 50s, 30s are depressed and are sad because of what happened and how their in-laws are treating them and how they're going through this and how they always, always have to be working and how they have this societal expectation, this culture, and they're being forced to do this and that. And it's like, when someone's advocating and speaking up for you guys, you have a problem. And we have to talk about that real quick because I don't get why. So many people, especially Pakistani aunties, go through such horrible crap and they become really bitter, which which is sad. May Allah, you know, make it easy. And then when you see young people speaking up about that, you're like, chup karjo. Like, why pipe down? Why are you talking? And it's like, woman, I'm speaking for you. What? What's wrong? Like, and I don't get that because they're like... I don't get that. I just don't get that. They, they're not supporting of it at all. But some people, alhamdulillah, were supportive of it. Majority of all the people that I've met, personally, they were supportive of it. You know, I remember one of my aunt, one of my mom's auntie's friends was like, oh, I love it. You know, and I, don't, I don't know if she ever heard me talk, but she was really sweet about it, um, which makes me happy. But, like, back home when people found out, it was, it was fine. Like, it went smooth, alhamdulillah. You know, like, they follow my Instagram. They like my stuff. And it's like, I think that that is important. To know that you have people like that in your family that are supportive of what you do because you also you know have to share your work with like-minded people and it's possible that like no one will like the fact that you're talking about islam and the deen you know because like there's certain cultures they just want you to shut up and stay silent and never show your face and just never speak and never breathe and just you know and i also think you have to ask yourself why do you think that culturally why do you feel like you have to be so you know oppressive in the manner of not even letting women breathe um why do you feel that when islam doesn't feel that i feel like that's another thing too um and i also feel like the problem with among cultures and this isn't just pakistan it's just a lot of places where like when women are born they're really disappointed about that which is another thing that is so heartbreaking you know like the problem please be upon him you know there's hadith where like you know like if you have daughters you know they can be the route to Jannah inshallah and how like you know Jannah lies under a mother's feet and just so many great things like that you know about how you should take care of the women take care of mothers whatnot and it's like people when women are born they're like Perse again are you serious and then they're like don't even like congratulate you know the mother who had the child and they cause all these issues they cause all this drama you know no respect no congratulations no matai no nothing and it's like how what? And it's like, I don't get that because it's like, why are you so bitter about someone else having a daughter? And then sometimes what happens is culture makes women think that it's the worst thing to have a daughter and they become so bitter towards it that the mom herself starts to see their daughter and be bitter towards them, which is so sad. And it happens a lot more often than we think.
And I think this whole stigma of, you know, only having a boy is what makes you successful is really bad because the deen is not just about, you know, gender. It's it's about worshiping Allah alone. And if you look at the mothers of the believers, may Allah be pleased with them, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they have narrated hadith, they have done great things, they are... You know, mashallah, may Allah be pleased with them. So it's like, why, what's your bitterness towards women? I just feel like a lot of cultures think that women are useless, period, no need for them, which is heartbreaking. And I also know situations where like, um, this is really sad, but I also know situations where like where women were pregnant and if they had like their second or third daughter, the husband would just remarry. And it's like, man, why you gotta be like that? Ew, like why you gotta be like that? And it's so sad. It's so sad because you like it's actually and actively a thing, and they still do it, where they like remarry if someone has like a daughter. Like, oh, you can't give me a son. Bye. Like, I feel like people don't think about the qadr behind that. Like, there is such great decree behind having children, not having children, having a daughter, not having a daughter, having a son, not having a son. And I feel like people just mentally think that if you have a son, you are successful. You have a son. You have success in your deen and Allah has done a big, you know, rahma on you and Allah favors you and Allah this and like, and it's like having children, not having children, whatnot, it's all Allah's decree. But people make it seem like women that have sons are a lot more pious because Allah granted them that. And I'm like, what? Where are y'all getting this flawed logic from? Because like, you don't know if that same son could be the reason you get tested. You don't, I mean, you know, children, it's difficult being parents. And I'm not a parent, I'm just telling you, (laughs) I still drink apple juice, okay, I'm a child. But like, you know, anything in this life could be a test and a blessing at the same time. And I think that it's so strange to me how in cultures they'll be like, oh, so she had a son, so she's successful. And they will genuinely treat women better too if they have sons. And it's like, what? That's so, that's so, mm-mm. Ew, gross, toxic, culture. Ugh. And it's like, why you gotta be like that? I don't get that. And... I feel like the whole concept where like, oh, I'm just going to remarry, like, you know, since you can't give me a son. It's just like, I feel like people forget about what Islam says in that moment and how like Islam values women and daughters and stuff like that so much. And it's like, you are being hateful and bitter and not wanting to take care of your daughter, not wanting to take care of their upbringing and raising. And you just hate them because they're a daughter. And it's like, what's their fault? And I think that's why so many um, daughters, you know, grow up thinking that they're a mistake. Because their parents made them think that they're a mistake and you're not a mistake. I don't think that anyone's ever born by mistake. I think that Allah knows exactly what he's doing, when he's doing it, how he's doing it, what the layout's going to be. You're not a mistake. And I think that it's sad that our culture makes it seem like the daughter's a mistake. And they're like, oh my god, oops. How'd that happen? Oops. You had a daughter? Oops. May Allah give you son next time. And I'm like, whoa. And you know, like, there's cases where, like, you know, they have daughters. And, like, to congratulate them, they come to the hospital and they're like, Allah, you know, next time, you know, may he grant you a son. What do you mean Allah will make it better next time? What's this? Like, and it's just like, I feel like that type of disrespect is beyond me. And it's disgusting, if anything. Because how can you hate Allah's creation like that? How can you hate the fact that someone birthed a daughter and it wasn't in their control? And da-da-da-da. Like, how can you hate someone for that crap? How can you hate the child? The innocent child. This child can literally become, you know, one of the most best alamas there could be. Could be the one that helps you know, in lots of great causes, could be so successful, could be more successful to than a son, but you don't care because it's a daughter. And I think that the daughter depression, the daughter stigma makes lots of daughters grow up and also view themselves very poorly because they were treated poorly because they were simply a daughter. And so they grow up thinking that they're incapable of doing lots of things and that they don't, they don't even deserve to be breathing. And it's like, that's not the case. That's not the case. And 
Mm-mm. Mm. And you know, another sad thing is like sometimes when women do have sons, you know, in these households where they had lots of daughters, when they do have sons, it's completely different. The matai, the environment, the party, the throw, the baby shower, the clothes, it's like everything's different. And only for that son to grow up. And sometimes, you know, since they praise the son for being a son so much, which is another problem in community culture, sorry, not community, desi culture, where like if they have a son, they don't tell him to do anything. They don't raise him on Islamic moral grounds. They don't raise him on Islamic values. They don't raise him on anything. They don't tell him, hey, you got to pray. They don't tell him, hey, you got to do like good in school. Like they're just like, oh, son, let's just admire him. He's a boy. He's a boy. It's a son. Let's just admire him. And they don't care to actually like raise their sons properly. And this is so bad because what happens is as they grow up and they don't learn about the deen or Islam or any really good moral values, they grow up to becoming, you know, very vicious and completely out of those things and so when their son does turn their back on their parents their parents are like how could you do this you know we raised you for so long we took so much care of you we spoiled you well that's the thing you never taught him how to take care of you when you teach your sons and your daughters about islam and how they make you value parents and how you're supposed to treat your parents and how you're supposed to handle yourself and how you're supposed to be praying how you're supposed to be worshiping and if God wills, you know, inshallah, that person will grow up with such a good character. But if you are praising your son just because he's a son and oh my God, I had a son, like that's the best thing in the world. Then your son grows up with absolutely no moral values and no concept of the deen. How is he going to know how to respect you? You never taught him. You just praised him for simply existing. You praised him for simply breathing. You praised him for simply tucking in his chair. You praised him for simply, you know, maybe picking up his plate. That's basic human decency. A five-year-old can do those things. And I think that's the problem. And that roots a lot from the toxic traditions. And I think, if anything, also trauma and stigma of when women don't have sons. So when they do have sons, they feel like they've accounted value to something to finally deserve to live because they had a son. And so they just raised their sons with the most uttermost, you know, spoiling effects, which, okay, whatever. But like, if you don't teach him anything in regards to the and the values, and you're just like, you know, just go do whatever you want. Go breathe. You want to play on the video game all day? Go ahead. Like, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it really beneficial then? You know what I'm saying? Like, in may Allah guide those people back but it's not fair and you can't do that to yourself either and then like their sons abandon them sometimes that happens too or like their sons just move out of the country to like buy a mom i don't care about you no more and they don't they disrespect them they don't care about them and then that's when their parents realize about their daughters and they're like oh my god i love my daughters and it's like your daughters already grew up with so much trauma of you not wanting them now that you realize that the son necessarily did not care about you now you want to come back it's just there's a lot of things about this and i, I feel like i can make a whole episode about it i don't know Anyway, I hope that you guys enjoyed this wind down. I feel like it was really therapeutic for me to just talk about random stuff um, without any direction and structure. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I mean, if you did, please let me know because I'll appreciate it immensely. Um, but yeah, always remember to be very, very careful about yourself, how you ground yourself, about your passions and your hobbies and do it out of love. Try to not do it out of compulsion. Do it out of, you know, I want to do this for Allah, not for the people. And anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, may Allah forgive me if I said anything wrong. May Allah forgive me if I pissed off any aunties. Um, take care of yourself. Asalaamu Alaikum.